Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, are you constantly feeling like you never have enough time, like you can't possibly fit it all in, and you'll never get to those projects you've been wanting to do because of a lack of time? Let me help you find that time because guess what? There's always enough of it. We just need to create space for it and be intentional about protecting it. Join my Facebook group where I will help you find the time you are looking for by analyzing what you are currently spending your time doing and by becoming a fierce time protector. Head over to eblogtalk.com forward slash always enough for more information and use the discount code EBT listener to get 20% off. This is a limited time offer, so you don't want to miss out on this. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash always enough to find that time you're looking for. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers, so your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. Hello, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast made for you, food bloggers seeking value for your businesses and your lives. Today, I will be chatting with Laura Vanderkam from lauravanderkam.com, and we will talk about the importance of time tracking in business. Laura is the author of several time management and productivity books, including Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. She hosts the every weekday morning podcast Before Breakfast and co-hosts with Sarah Hart Unger, Best of Both Worlds. Her TED Talk, How to Gain Control of Your Free Time, has been viewed over 9 million times. I could not possibly be more excited for this chat today, Laura, but first, give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Well, <laughs> one fun fact about me is that for a while I had a running streak going and I hit three years of running every day for at least a mile, but that has ended recently because I, well, I had a baby. Yeah, well, that'll <laughs> so do it. <laughs> that would do it. Um, I ran up until the, the day before I had the baby and then, you know, didn't manage to run on the day I had the baby. But uh, Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's so impressive. Oh my goodness. Not many people can say that. That's very impressive. Where do you live that you can run every day? Well, I mean, I ran inside some days too. Sure. Um, Treadmills. Treadmills are not my favorite, but they, they do the job. Need to. I live right outside Philadelphia. So, you know, we, we have fairly moderate climate. Uh, you can certainly run outside most days of the year here. Uh, it's not too terrible. Well, that's impressive. Thank you for sharing that. I certainly have never had a streak like that. Um, okay, so I'm really eager to jump into this because I have an obsession with everything productivity and time management. 
I like to soak up every bit of information on these topics because I think there's so much power in figuring out how to efficiently manage your time. And I think that a lot of people don't realize how powerful it is until they experience it. And that's definitely been the case for me. And before we dive in, I have to mention that I have recently read one of your books, I Know How She Does It, and absolutely loved it. It just rang true. It was one of the best books I've ever heard on time management. And I just loved all the practical tips that you gave in the book about how to manage family and kids and spend time with husband and friends. And it was just really awesome. So I highly recommend it. And I'm super excited to dive into more of yours now. I'm kind of on a roll. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yes. Be a Laura Vanderkam streak. <laughs> yes, I, it, it is. So you, Laura, you have so much knowledge to share. So give us some of that gold and talk to us about some of your points about why you think time tracking is an important place to start with time management. Well, it's pretty simple in that if you want to spend your time better, you need to know how you are spending your time now. Because if you don't know how you're spending your time now, I mean, how do you know you're going to change the right thing? I mean, it's you have this show for for food bloggers, and I'm sure many people have tried to eat healthier. It's like, but you may not know exactly what you're eating. And if you don't know what you're eating, like you may have a certain sense of what is an issue or not an issue, but you don't know for sure until you have the data. Or if you are a business owner and you're trying to decide, well, do I open another store? Do I bring on an assistant? Like, again, if you don't know what your revenue is coming in from or what the foot traffic is in front of that retail location, how would you know if it's the right place to open a store? So it's the same thing with time. If you want to spend your time better, we need to figure out where it's going now, because maybe something you thought was a problem really isn't. Maybe something you've never even considered is taking more time than you thought. So rather than working from stories we tell ourselves about our time, I think we need to work from good data. So I just recently did a group in Facebook where we dove into time logs. And it was so interesting because a lot of the people inside the group were food bloggers. And they went in thinking that they spent their time doing certain things or weren't doing certain things. And they came out and they were just shocked. They were like, oh my gosh, I spend X amount of hours a week on Instagram. Or <laughs> It was just so revealing. Yep. And for me too, I've been logging my time for the past month solid. And every week I see something new. And it's either like I see something that's missing or I see something that's really annoying that's in my time log that shouldn't be. So I think you can over time even build on that and keep learning. So how do you recommend starting with that? Do you recommend just doing like a solid week of time tracking or a few days or what are your recommendations? Yeah, a week is probably best because when people start to track time, they are often very into how they spend their weekdays. And then the weekend is just this afterthought. But the weekend is part of your life too. A week is the cycle of life as we actually live it. So if you want to really get a picture of your life, you need to track for a week. Now that said, if that seems overwhelming and too difficult, maybe do two weekdays and one weekend day, right? Yeah. And one way you can sort of get even a jump start on that. Here's a, here's a little trick. Most of us can remember how we spent yesterday with reasonable accuracy. I think it's, you know, 80 to 90% accuracy in audits of this. So why don't you just start by logging yesterday and then you can log today 
and you know, then log tomorrow, right? So that wasn't overwhelming. Now you've got three days of data. Or you know, if you start this project on say a Friday, then you could log Thursday and Friday, and then Saturday without having really put yourself out too much. So that's one way to start. But I really encourage you to try for a week because otherwise, I mean. People have this idea of what's a typical day in their life, but this is the typical day Tuesday or is it Saturday? They probably look pretty different for most people. And so if you're only recording one of those, you'll have a different impression of your life than if you have the data from both. And I loved something you said in your book. I know how she does it. You said there's never a typical week where people can say like, well, this week isn't normal. I have a an outing. I have to go to my kid's field trip and then they can put it off. But really, if you think about it, there's really no typical week. We always have exceptional things that we have to do. So I think any week is a good place to start with this. Do you agree with that? I know you agree with that. Yeah, but, yeah. I, do. I do. And obviously there are some weeks that are different from others, but you can see a lot even from an atypical week. And if yes, if you're waiting for a perfectly typical week, that's actually more a value judgment than it is reality. I found that one of the reasons, um, there, there are certain patterns with time tracking. People tend to find that they work less than they think they do. Yep. And one reason for that is that in their minds, a typical week is when you're at work fully the whole time. But over time, you can start to see, well, there's often some reason that you're not for, I don't know, yeah, you have a, a dentist appointment, there was traffic and you were late, uh, you had to cut out early for something. And those things happen often enough that in fact, the log total will be lower than in your mind it probably is, but it happens. And so that's what we need to recognize. Or with sleep, we tend to underestimate how much we sleep because we have in our minds only say Tuesday night. We're not building in weekend sleep time. We're not building in out of bed sleep time. People crash on the couch. They don't put that in in their, in their mind of what they sleep. If they sleep through an alarm in their minds, the amount of time they're sleeping is up to the alarm, not after the alarm. Um, so it, these are all ways that more sleep comes in, which is you know a good thing. But again, if you have a certain assumption of what a typical night is, it's going to reveal a different number than what your time log will. That is so true for me when I started logging. One thing that I went in thinking was that I worked way more than I did. I would have told you that I worked close to 50 hours a week. And actually, I work like, this was shocking. I work like 35 hours a week and I had no idea. And sleep. I think someone asked me recently, how much sleep do you get a night? And I said like seven hours. I sleep almost nine hours a night. So why is it that we conjure up in our minds these truths and then our time logs reveal to us things that are totally opposite? Well, because I'm sure you have slept seven hours on some night, right? Like yeah. that, this is a data point that it exists. So it's a question of which data point are you looking at? Are you looking at a sort of longer term average, which I would argue would be more accurate than any snapshot of a given night? Or are you just looking at, you know, how much did I sleep Tuesday this week, right? And on the work front, I'm sure there is a week that you have worked 50 hours a week. So in your mind, maybe that becomes typical as opposed to a week where you work 20, which in your mind is atypical. But, you know, maybe the frequency of each of those things is different than we have in this picture of our lives. But you're far from the only one to find this. I mean, this is not, you know, just Megan. Yeah. <laughs> Confessional here. I mean, I found the exact same thing. I, I used to think I worked about 50 hours a week. And the first year I logged, the long-term average was a lot closer to 40. And 
40 is a different number than 50. And I, I write about this. I speak about this. I study this. And here I had 10 hours going somewhere completely different than I thought they were going. You know, again, it's not about playing gotcha. It's, it's important to know this because if I'm trying to allocate 50 hours to my various different work projects, I'm going to wonder why I feel behind. And it's not that there's something wrong with how I'm working is that I'm working 40 hours. <laughs> so, you know, that's good to know. Yeah, it is. And I liked what you said about if you want to spend your time better, you first need to know where you're spending your time now. Because I think like you mentioned, this applies to so many things in life. It's just like money too, right? Like if you want to spend your money better, where are you spending your money now? You can't improve on that unless you know. And so you need to be really knowledgeable about where you're spending your time. So once you start digging into a time log and let's say somebody logs their time for a solid week and they're reviewing it, what do they do from there? Well, there's a couple things you can do. The first is to ask yourself what you like about your schedule, because there's no doubt something. It is your life. You have made choices that have brought you to this point. So hopefully there's something in there that's worth celebrating. And you say, well, I have a good habit of eating lunch with colleagues twice a week. So we share knowledge, we're getting to know each other better, so we work better as a team, that's great. Or maybe you listen to podcasts during your commute, so you're turning what could be wasted time into educational time, or maybe even to me time if you're doing it for a more entertainment purpose. Maybe it's that you have a bedtime, like you're very good about getting into bed at 10.30 at night. Great, like let's let's celebrate whatever it is that's working for you. Then the next thing you can do is ask, well, what do I want to spend more time doing? And I think this is not the first question people tend to ask next. They tend to ask the follow-up question, which is, what do I want to spend less time doing? Because we look at our time and be like, geez, I spent way too much time on X, Y, or Z. But I think it's more effective to start by asking what you want to do more of. Because when you find ways to put more of those things into your schedule, you will naturally spend less time on the things you don't wish to be spending so much time on. So maybe it's that you want to exercise more. Maybe it is that you want to spend more time with friends. Maybe you want to spend more time volunteering. These are all things that people mention frequently. So just look at your schedule and say, well, how could I scale this up by maybe one or two hours in the upcoming weeks, right? Let's not try to find 10 hours or anything crazy like that. But could I put one additional hour into my life? Well, mostly, yes. Um, I've met very few people who could not find one hour, particularly if it's split up over the course of seven days. Uh, so figure out where that can happen. Figure out what the logistics are. Set yourself a goal to do that for the next week. And as you sort of scale these things up over time, you will naturally find that you're spending less time on the time wasters and the things you don't want to do. Because, you know, if you're out doing wonderful things in the world, you're not home noticing the mail pile and sorting through the mail pile sort of inefficiently. If you are doing fun things with friends and are deeply involved in work projects, you're spending less time stewing over angry, pointless emails, right? These are just the choices we make with our time. That's such a smart approach because I think you're right. A lot of us tend to do the opposite. Like, oh, I'm on Instagram way too much. I'm going to make a goal not to be. But instead, you're saying make a goal to do those things that you love more. And because you're spending time on those things you love, those other things will fall away eventually. So that's so smart. So do you recommend actually adding those things into your calendar first? Like let's say you plan weekly calendars, those things that you want to do that you're not doing enough of, you want to do more of just putting them in your calendar and then planning around that? Sure. 
I mean, that's an approach that generally does work. Because if you're not willing to devote time to something, like a specific time to a thing, you are basically saying it's not a big priority for you. Because things we wish to do take time. So if there is not a time you're willing to give it, then you're pretty much saying it's not going to happen. Now, there can be some flexibility with it. And one thing I recommend people do, if there's something you really want to do, find a spot for it and then also designate a backup slot. Because if you are a busy person, stuff will come up. Could be a family problem, could be a work emergency, just, you know, something happens at home, like there's a home repair that must happen immediately. So that time can be taken away from you. And that can be incredibly frustrating. Like, but I want to work on my novel and I carved out Tuesday morning for my novel. And then, you know, my boss is like, oh no, we have this huge thing happening or, you know, my kid is sick or these. So, but what if you carved out Tuesday morning and a time on Thursday morning? Now, Tuesday disappears, you have Thursday. And one of those is far more likely to happen than, you know, if you only have one designated, one spot designated. Yeah, you kind of answered a question I was going to ask later. And that is, what do we do on those days when we have so much packed into our schedule that we and then we fall ill or we have an emergency to deal with or somebody needs something from us that day? And just rearranging our calendars can almost for me, it makes me feel sunk. Like I just need to scratch my week and start over. But that, <laughs> that's a really good plan to have a backup day, especially for those really important tasks that we need to or want to get done. Having Tuesday and Thursday. And then that way, if you do get it done Tuesday, oh, look, you have Thursday free. You can do something else. You can go on your kid's field trip or get into another project or something else. So I love that. That's such a great recommendation. So how do you recommend, Laura, that we plan priorities into our lives? Well, same as we were talking about that you schedule them. And I know there are some people who don't like to schedule their lives very exactly. And that's fine. You may have a broader window for when things happen. But I do recommend figuring out what those things are that you would like to see happen. And then roughly when can those things happen? And you talked about weekly planning, and I think that is an excellent unit of time to plan in. I like to do my planning on Fridays. Um, Fridays tends to be a good time for planning the upcoming week for a couple of reasons. One is that you know by Friday afternoon, most of us are not doing anything productive anyway. <laughs> like we're not we're not starting new projects. We're not really going on anything. And so it's very easy to waste this time. Whereas if you think about what future you should be doing, you can turn what might be wasted time into some of your most productive minutes of the week. So that could be a, a good time for it. The other reason is one of the problems, even people who like their jobs can often get to the end of the weekend, sort of Sunday night and feel this trepidation about Monday. And one of the reasons for that trepidation is that you don't know what's going to hit you on Monday morning. And so you know you're going to have to spend all this time and effort figuring it out. What's on my plate? When can I do it? And by the time you've done that, like a big chunk of Monday is gone. And Monday could have been a very focused work time. So if you make this plan on Friday, you go into Monday knowing what you're going to do. And that can allow you to relax on Sunday because you know there is a plan. And then finally, I mean, Friday is a good time to plan because it's a work day. So if you need to make meetings or appointments or anything, you can do that. Most people are still at their desks and available. So if you want to set that up. So and then I guess one other good side to Friday is that if you haven't really thought through your weekend at that point, 
It gives you a chance to work out those logistics and think about what you'd like to do that might be rejuvenating for you and your family over the weekend and have a plan then. And then you go into the weekend with a rough outline of what's going to happen, which can make you look forward to those things and know that something fun will happen instead of wasting all your energy deciding on the weekend. Planning on Friday is such a great idea. And I don't know why that's never occurred to me because Sunday nights are like my precious time. I love Sunday nights, but I also, I anticipate them sometimes not in a good way because I have to plan my week and I have lunches to get ready. And I have, you know, there's all those things you have to do on Sunday nights in order to prepare for the week. So taking that planning element out of Sunday is so appealing to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to try that this week because It just makes sense, like looking forward to your weekend, too, and getting all the details situated so nothing crazy comes at you. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And then I was also going to mention you. Okay, we're talking to food bloggers right now, and they are a really driven, hardworking bunch. And our work is literally never done. It's like the mail. It's just coming at us constantly. So it's really easy to work ourselves to the ground and get to that point of almost being at burnout mode. Do you have any advice about how food bloggers can manage both work and personal lives efficiently? Well, I think if any, if you're leaning toward burnout, it's very important to monitor your energy. And certainly people who write about food are aware of this idea that there are certain things we do that add to our energy levels and certain things we do that tend to subtract from them over time. I mean, generally a healthy, nourishing diet will give you more energy than than one that is not. Same thing with moving your body. Physical activity tends to give us energy. Sleeping enough also tends to add to our energy levels. And then there are other things too that might be unique to you. Maybe it's calling a friend, maybe it's reading a book, but whatever it is that makes you feel energized, you can monitor your energy through the day and proactively add in some of these things in order to be able to get more done and and to avoid that sense of overwhelm and that sense of being too tired to do anything. So if you know that you are a gung-ho person in the morning, you want to probably schedule your deepest work for the morning. And then you'll probably notice around 1030 or so that you're starting to flag. And well, that's a time to shift gears, either do a different kind of work or go call a friend or you know something like that. And maybe you need to take a real lunch. That's something that a lot of people are like, oh, look at me. I'm working at my desk. I'm <laughs> working through lunch. I'm, gonna, I'm so productive. I'm going to get out of here on time today. And then by 2.30, you're just, you can't function. You, your brain is fried. And that's when you fall into those traps of being on Instagram for an hour and you have no idea where the time went. And and it's your brain taking a break because it needs a break. But if you don't give it a real break, it takes a fake break. So better to take a real break, like go for a walk or something like that. And you'll come back refreshed and, and able to function much better. So adding in that self-care element is something that I always say is so important. And I, some weeks I'm better at it than others, but some weeks I literally just put in blocks. Like I need self-care here, 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 here. And I actually follow it some weeks and I'll take a step away from my work, which is really hard to do sometimes. But it seems so counterintuitive that if you take a break, you're actually being more productive and you're adding your to your productivity and you're actually creating more time for yourself. But it's so hard to do it sometimes. So what are some ways that we can, I don't know, like get to the point where we're just like listening to ourselves and actually doing that? Um, 
Well, tracking your time is a good way because uh, you can see those internet rabbit holes that you fall into because you haven't had a break. Or you can see that like this is the time of day when I'm really getting stuff done and this is the time of day when I'm really not. You know, what can I do to shift that a little bit or to extend my productive time or to get some more productive time later in the day? You know, you can also tell yourself, like, these breaks don't have to be long. We take breaks anyway. I mean, presumably at some point people get up and go to the bathroom. So it's just about recognizing that you can proactively put in even just, you know, 10, 15 minutes every couple of hours can go a long way. Or you can notice, like, what was I doing in the last 10 minutes? Was I doing anything that added to <laughs> my accomplishments for the day. And if if you weren't, well, that would have a sign that you would have been better off building in one of these sort of energy rejuvenation activities rather than just continue to stare at the same email and you know read it six times in a row. That is so true. There are times when I'm like, oh my, I would have been so much more productive just walking away like an hour ago. But you try, you get in that mode where you're like, I can push through, I can do this, I have to get this done, and you, <laughs> you fight it. But there's really no point. So I think again, time logs can bring such awareness in that area, and also help you see patterns. For me, as I've been doing time logs, I've seen patterns in my weeks and in my days. You mentioned earlier how some people are really motivated and refreshed and ready to work on Monday mornings, and some people may maybe are more refreshed in the afternoons. But it's really revealing to look back at a time log because you can see all of that and then you can start planning your weeks based on that. But I think downtime is so important. And for me, it's just been a matter of listening to myself and really being in tune. Like I need to take a break right now. You are not being productive. Step away from the computer. And once you start listening to that and like following through, I think you see the rewards of it. Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. You can see the rewards. And, you know, if you're not sure if it's going to work, just try it for a couple of days and see what happens. And if you fall horribly behind, fine. But if you find yourself being more productive, which is generally what happens when you're mindful about how you spend your time, then you may decide it's a habit worth sticking with. How do you handle busy work, like admin type work, replying to emails, that sort of thing? Do you block that into your calendar or do you set certain times you are allowed and not allowed to do it? How do you deal with that? Yeah, the key thing with that is to make sure that anything that doesn't demand your best self doesn't get your best self. So it is so tempting if, you know, say you are the kind of person who shows up in the morning and you've got a ton of energy, maybe that first cup of coffee, you're like, I can conquer the world. And so (laughs) you sit down with your to-do list and it's got 10 things on it. And you're like, oh, I see six of these. I can knock off really quick, right? Don't do that. Because (laughs) usually those are the things like pay this bill, you know, put this thing in an envelope and get it out to the mail. You know, there's just these admin things that you can do when you hit that slump at 2.30 in the afternoon, you can still answer that routine email and pay that bill and you know whatever else it is that doesn't demand your best self, but maybe you can't create some great new content when you're in that slump. You need to do that when you are at your best self. So make sure that the administrative busy work type stuff is put at a time that it's not taking away from other things. And if you have to get to it earlier, I would build in, you know, do it as a break, right? Like I'm going to work on this big project for 
an hour and then I'm going to take a 15 minute break to do these smaller things. That can be a way to fit it in as well. And, you know, it's also easy to get distracted by smaller things. Like we're working on a big project. We're like, oh, yes, I really need to order X, Y, Z. I mean, this happens to all true. Yeah, because big projects, it's often hard to see progress. We don't feel necessarily all that motivated as we're chipping away at it. Whereas if you go on Amazon to order poster board for a kid's project, like it's done, like it it will show up in two days. And and that can feel incredibly like, whoa, look at me, I'm getting stuff done, except you aren't, right? (laughs) So if those things occur to you while you're working on the big project, Just write them down on a list and then do that during your designated times for doing such work. I always put my admin work, I always schedule it at the beginning of the day just because I don't know why. I've always done that. So now you're having me rethink that because at the beginning of the day, right away in the morning, that's when I'm really, really ready to work and dig in. And I can do that busy work anytime. But I think I feel like my inbox needs me right away. And I think a lot of people feel like that. So how do you deal with your inbox? And how do you manage that throughout the day? Do you have designated times when you read your email? Or what do you do there? I would say that your inbox will still need you at 10 a.m. If it needed you at 8 a.m., it also needs you at 10 a.m. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just email expands to fill the available space. So if you start your day with it, you will always be dealing with the inbox. You're never caught up with it. Like you never will be. But if you do something else first during that best time, you'll still deal with the stuff in your inbox, but you will also make progress on this bigger project. So I I mean, I know that's not easy to do. I mean, one thing you can do is if you really feel like you have to look at your inbox to see what's in it, do that at a separate space than when you sit down at your desk to work. So if you are commuting to work, for instance, maybe you glance at your emails after you've parked the car in the office garage, like glance at it, then go in, do your big project for an hour and then deal with the email, right? So you know what's in there. But you're saying, I'm not going to deal with it until a little later. Or maybe it's that you check it, you know, while you're waiting for the bus. Then once you get to work, you do your big project and then, you know, check the inbox again later. But try to make sure that when you sit down ready to go, you're not just tackling the inbox unless it is a particular email that you've put on your priority list for the day. And sometimes there is like, right, maybe you're reaching out to a major client like that could be a very important email. That, that's something that maybe does demand your best self. But just, you know, deleting newsletters. I, no. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I mean, a lot of what I go through in my inbox is like articles I want to read on SEO or you know, things that can be automated or just things that don't demand my best self, like you say, Laura. So I can very easily do that in the evening when I'm getting dinner ready. I mean, that is not something I need to do right away in the morning. Do you ever use anything like inbox pause? Have you heard of that? I have heard of it. I've not used anything like that. I I know there are various email hacks people have. Fundamentally, the most important hack is to control how often you are choosing to deal with it. Like I said, email expands to fill the available space. The only way to make sure you will spend less time on email is to give it less time. So it really doesn't have to be a huge sacrifice. I mean, what you can do is say, I'm going to be in email for like 20 minutes every two hours. Well, two hours, people are still going to get a pretty quick response from you, but 
opening up that hour and 40 minutes for other things is really quite liberating. The problem is when people are constantly in their inbox, but it's kind of interesting how many people do that. Yeah, (laughs) it's so true. Well, inbox pause, I've been experimenting with it for a few weeks now, and I actually love it because I get so distracted with my email. Like Facebook for me isn't a big thing for me anymore. I can even do really well with ignoring Instagram, but email for some reason, if I see something pop up, I'm like, ooh, what's that? So I I get so easily distracted. So inbox pause, you can actually pause your inbox so that nothing pops up. You don't see those numbers pop up. And that just allows me a few hours where I feel like, okay, it's on pause. I don't need to go over there. But I think we each need to find those tricks that work for us, whatever that is. Even if you just have to close the tab, log out of it. I loved your recommendation for doing it in a separate location so that you don't feel, it's almost like you're separating duties and associating them with places, right? Like I can check email upstairs on the counter, but I can't do it in my office. Something like that so that you know this place is not meant for email, but on other places. I like that too. Do you have any other recommendations for emails? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really for me, it's about choosing the time to do it and stretch sort of what you think is an appropriate response time. Because I think that's where people really get into trouble is that they think everything needs to be responded to urgent. And most of the time it doesn't. I kind of set a time every couple of days to go back through and try to get myself relatively to current. And I either decide not to deal with an email or put it on a list to answer it at some other point when I have a few minutes. But that triage only happens every like three days or so because otherwise, you know, you'd be on it constantly and it's just not worth it. So true. Okay. Talk to us about the importance of morning routines. I know that you're a morning routine person as well. So when we're trying to get a grasp on our time, I truly believe that you need to establish a routine that you do in the morning, if not every morning, most mornings. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, the first thing is like most people don't do something every morning. This is kind of the funny part of morning routines. Very few people do morning routines seven days a week. And in fact, many of the people who say they have these great daily morning routines are in fact doing them like Monday through Thursday, which is only four days a week. So I take heart from that. If there's anything you do in life three or four days a week, it's a habit. So you don't have to set yourself up for daily, which tends to lead to disappointment. Uh, You know, although I did start this podcast by talking about my daily running streak, Um, (laughs) but I didn't, I didn't try to do that at a set time every day. It was just at some point in the 24 hours, I'm going to run a mile. And by having that be very, very flexible, uh, it was more possible to to do than if I said I'm going to run in the morning because there's some days I couldn't run in the morning. And you know I get it. I have I have young kids. It's hard to. We all read we read these articles of people who have like the hour long meditation and then the hour long boot camp or whatever <laughs> they do and their green juice. It you know it may not work for you to do that in a phase of life where you have you know a two year old and a four year old that you're getting to daycare or something like yeah that that green juice may not be happening. <laughs> the hour long <laughs> meditation definitely not happening. But you could still aim to do something. If your kids get up at relatively set times, like if you know there's a time that, you know, if you've reached the stage where you are generally waking them up, then you can aim to get up a little bit before that. And maybe it's just that you sit with your coffee for 10 minutes and read something motivational, something fun. Maybe it's that you write in a journal for 10 minutes. Maybe it's that you do some push-ups and sit-ups and get your, your blood moving. 
but something that will start your day that makes you feel good, makes you feel in control of your time. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be too intense, but something that makes it seem like it's worthwhile to get out of bed. And uh, that can, that can go a long way to making your mornings feel better. I like that you just recommended starting small because morning routines can seem really overwhelming. Like you said, we don't all get up and do the green smoothie and hour of meditation. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but that's a lot. And it's really stressful to think about that, especially if you've got kids and you have crazy mornings trying to get kids out the door to school and then get a handle on your own work. But I love just the idea of starting really small. Six months ago, I really wanted to start journaling in the morning. And this is something I'd been wanting to do for years and I had just never done it. And I had it in my mind that I needed to spend like 30 to 45 minutes journaling. And so one day I was like, dude, just... my life is not that interesting. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> well, it was just a matter of me just shaking myself and saying, you don't need to do that. If you want to journal, journal for five minutes and just go from there. So I started doing that. And ever since then, I've been journaling daily. Sometimes it's a couple minutes and like your runs, you know, like I don't always fit it in right away in the morning, but I always fit it in. And some days it's, it is more like 30 minutes, but I fulfill that need to do that without having to put this big stressor in my life. Like it's more of a um, release now than a weight. So just starting small and finding what those things are that I think it was your words. You just said that, Laura, like what can give you, make you feel like you have control of your day and then going from there. So I do think that there is power in having a morning routine, even if it is just like a really small something that sets you up for your day. But yeah. And I'd argue that many people have a morning routine anyway, in the sense that you know, there are certain things you do every morning, like you probably brush your teeth every morning. Um, and, and so once you have that in mind, yes, there are things I do, then maybe it's just a small thing within that. Like, you know, I set my intentions for the day while in the shower. I pray while brushing my teeth or, so, you know, it, it doesn't have to be called out as this separate thing. Even it, it can be while you are getting ready for the day, you are doing it mindfully. And that can be a morning routine as well. I love that. That's a great way to think of it too, because we all do have our little things in the shower. We think about our day or yeah, just little things that maybe we're not considering to be our morning routine, but we do them every single day. Okay. So what about those people who are listening who just feel like they do not have a grasp on their time at all? Things are out of control and they just don't know where to start. Aside from time logs, I know that's a really great place to start. What other advice do you have for them? Well, certainly the Friday planning can be helpful because that's where you sit down and say, well, these are the things that are on my plate. These are the things I would like to do next week. Where can they go? Uh, planning on Friday also gives you an opportunity to look at what is already on your calendar for the upcoming week and make some decisions. If you have too much scheduled, maybe it's time to defer some of those things or delegate some of those things or get rid of them. I mean, you know, maybe maybe something doesn't have to happen. Well, that's an idea. So you can do that in the Friday planning session as well. It's just a moment to get a grip on where your time is going um, and where you would like it to go. But if you're not going to do anything else, it's good to get in the habit of building in open space into your life. So maybe it's that you would normally pack stuff into a day, but you consciously leave two hours at work open, like unscheduled. And that doesn't mean you won't do anything during that time. You probably won't be sitting there twiddling your thumbs, 
But what happens is that a meeting runs over and then the rest of your day falls apart. Whereas if you have open space, you can get caught up and then you're not late to the next thing. Maybe it's that you try to leave most of Friday open, that you don't schedule things on Friday. Well, again, you're going to work on Friday. It's not that you're (laughs) going to sit there twiddling your thumbs. But what will happen is that you know, your biggest client has a huge emergency on Tuesday. And so everything from Tuesday has to get rescheduled. And where does it go? Well, if Friday is open, it can go there. If you are packed the whole week, it has, you have to start looking for time in the next weeks. And then that's how people get further behind. Yeah. And it's frustrating. (laughs) That's when I always want to throw in the towel and like throw my blog in the ocean or something (laughs) like, ah, so I get to this point once in a while, I would say every two months or so, when I'm just like super productive for most of that time. And then I just get to this point where I hit a wall and I feel like, I think I heard the term productivity fatigue once. And that's kind of how I describe it. Like I've been so productive for a period of time that I just want to die right now. And like, what do you recommend for me during those times? Do I give myself a couple day break? Do I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I think that is a great idea. You can um, certainly, if you're feeling overwhelmed, scheduling a day off, a mental health day is a great idea. Um, you know, if you've just been doing so much for so long, yeah, it's time you probably need a vacation. And, you know, you better be careful with these vacations because, you know, if you're a parent, for instance, your vacation may not be relaxing if you have your children with you. So maybe it's a smaller mini break that the kids are still in school or daycare or something like that. You take a day to go do fun stuff. Um, but yeah, giving yourself permission to have these these little breaks can go a long way. I agree. It's so hard, though, especially when we're so busy and with kids. And, you know, if we don't have time for a vacation, it's like, You can make all the excuses in the world why you shouldn't do it. But if I get to that point, obviously my mind is telling me you need a break. Stop. So I need to I need to be better about listening to myself. Okay, so one of the things I loved about your book that I just recently read is all of the great just tangible tips you gave about managing families and being a working woman or working human Can you just give us a few of those? I don't know if you have them right off the top of your head, but I just thought it was great how you went through just like really real solutions for spending more time with your kids and making time for your husband. Do you have a few of those for us? Well, one of the most common ones that people say, I mean, you know, people think, well, I can't work long hours and have a family because I'll never see my kids. But what a lot of the women I studied wound up doing is they split their working hours. So they'd work, if they needed to work long days, let's say you need to work a 10, 11 hour work day, rather than just working it straight through and and getting home at bedtime, they would stop working earlier, you know, 5, 5.30, spend the evening with their families, do more work at night after the kids went to bed. And I call this phenomenon the split shift. And it was honestly how women had big careers and still preserved quite a bit of family time, too. So it's something to consider because that way you're trading off work time for TV time as opposed to work time for family time. And, you know, there's other strategies people use. There's certainly having workplace flexibility is so much more important than trying to limit hours. I always suggest people just, you know, find a job where you can work when you want and where you want. And then it actually doesn't really matter that much how many hours you work because you'll find ways to devote energy to the most important things if you can move time around. But the but the split shift is something that even people in, in relatively traditional jobs can do. So that's worth considering. 
Yeah, I like that. I do that too. I stop working usually at five and I just turn my computer off, shut it, shut it down, make dinner, spend time with my family. And then some nights I start back up later, but that works for me. And that way I don't feel like I'm working through the important times and missing those moments. I mean, there are seasons when I do, when I have a project I have to do or something, but for the most part, I think that's really great advice. Do you have anything else for us before we say goodbye that you feel like we've missed that food bloggers might really find value hearing? Uh, no, just, I mean, spending time intentionally is the the biggest time management hack. If you think about where you want your time to go, you are much more likely to spend it on those things. So it's just about making sure you're putting a little thought into time, which keeps it from passing mindlessly. I love it. And then I have to ask you, which book do you recommend reading next? So I've read, I know how she does it, loved it. I will get to all of your books, but what is the next one that I should go to? Well, if you've read one time management book, which had a lot of basic ideas of how to manage your time off the clock, I kind of think of as the advanced class because it's about how people feel about their time and how you can have more of a sense of time abundance. But it's still pretty practical, uh, the different things you can do to make time feel more expansive. Awesome. Well, I will get to those and I'll let you know how I how much I love them. I'm sure I will. <laughs> well, thank you, Laura, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. This was super fun talking about time management. And I know that food bloggers are going to find value in this because time management is such a huge piece of the puzzle for us. But before you go, would you be willing to f- share a favorite quote or extra words of inspiration for food bloggers? Uh, yeah, sort of my my mantra I always have is that we overestimate what we can do in the short run, but we underestimate what we can do in the long run. And so if you could set very limited goals for yourself for any given day, but you just keep going, you can do amazing things. You know, if you want to write a 50,000 word book, well, you're not going to write that tomorrow, but that's in the course of a year, just a thousand words a week. If you give yourself four days a week to work on that, that's only 250 words a day. You've probably sent more words in emails by 9 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> true. So it's just about, you know, targeting it a little bit and just keep going. So that's my my last words of wisdom there. I love it. Thank you. And I will put Laura's books and also a link to her TED Talk on her show notes page. And that can be found at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Laura Vanderkam. Laura, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. You can come visit my website, lauravandercam.com. It's just my name. And then hopefully you can check out my podcast as well. The every weekday morning one is before breakfast. It's just a little shot of productivity advice to start your day. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.